Hello, and welcome to the Vitality Women Leading Audaciously podcast. I am Jennifer Helene, CEO of Purposeful Ventures, devoted to naturally innovative solutions for the realignment of humanity. We believe that stories connect us, dismantling the illusion of separation, causing healing. This interview will be 20 to 30 minutes long, and I look forward to sharing on Common Ground. Hello and welcome to Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. Today I am super excited uh, to have as a guest on our show, Angela Engel, which is a German name, right? Engel is actually angel, isn't it? You're like angel, angel. (laughs) (laughs) She's the founder and publisher of the Collective Book Studio. Welcome, Angela. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here too. This is a, a big topic for a lot of people and the shape of the publishing industry has changed so much. But before we dive into that, um, tell us a little bit about how you got here and uh, you mean to publishing into what you do now. Tell me a little bit more about your story. Yeah, um, you know, I always think, well, how far back should I even start, right? Um, but I uh, was born in Minnesota and then I went, uh, I'm a, I have three, I, I'm one of three. And I went to the University of Oregon, got a degree in creative writing and comparative literature and right out of college, got a job in book publishing. Uh, Really early on as a young woman, I grew really quickly in my career. I was blessed to really kind of be one over 20 years ago, uh, work in corporate, work at places like 10 Speed Press, which is part of Random House now, and um, Chronicle Books here in the San Francisco Bay Area, and working with corporations such as Target and Costco and Bye Bye Baby and you name it. Uh, I've probably sold to it of a shopping cart. And really uh, being able to present as a young woman in my late 20s and early, throughout my in 30s uh, to these large corporations selling books. Amazing. But like, so your interest was in literature, but, and so you went into publishing because that just called to your heart or like that just seemed what was logical. Like what, what about the publishing industry interested you? Mm. I mean, I've always, I, I've actually never written my own book, but I, when I was even in third grade, I remember reading Charlotte's web and like be thinking, I want to be a writer. I want to, I want to write a Charlotte's web book. And I just, always fell in love with literature, always like love the character of development. And really, I think one book that shaped me was called The History of Reading by Alberto Manguel, an Argentinian writer. Mm -hmm. And he kind of talks about the idea of how we even became readers as, you know, we we painted on caves and then Mm -hmm. we came up with this scroll and then this bound book. And I think that really fascinated me. And so I always wanted to kind of get into that industry that made books. Yeah, that's really interesting. And now uh, the younger generation and even our generation, you know, we're moving away from tangible books and into Kindle, Audible, and even um, my daughter was so crazy about it years ago, the texting. It's like a book that mm. came through in text messages, which I was just blown <laughs> away by, um, you know, but people will, we do want to consume information and we do want to share stories, which I think is a big part of, you know, the history of, of books and literature and um, our imaginations like to run wild, but your, your genre, the, like what you're really interested in your publishing company sounded really interesting. Lifestyle, wellness. Yeah. Nonfiction. It's nonfiction. Yeah. So really my career um, basically 
from my mid twenties on, I started to really focus on publishing companies that did cook, wine, you know, home, garden, self-help, nonfiction subjects, lifestyle subjects, as well as children's books. And so, um, and since my background really is in sales and marketing and business development, when I founded my own company, which we're going into year four and my own imprint and what I wanted to publish, it's really what I strongly believe um, has to be something that I'm good at and I'm interested in. So that's why I stuck, stayed with those subjects versus like a memoir or, or, or a novel. Yeah, you know, so funny. I tried to pick up a, a novel the other day and I just, uh, I only lasted about 20 minutes. because um, <laughs> I was like, I really want to learn about consciousness and, you know, all the other things like, you know, that you're talking about. It's just who I am. And there are a lot of us out there, as I'm sure you know, because your company, you know, exists because of us. <laughs> um, Women listening, though, uh, all of them have really interesting stories. Uh, many of them are entrepreneurs, um, and a lot of them have their own books. And so lately, what I've noticed, because I get pitched all the time um, by people who want me to either write a chapter in their book and, um, you know, what, what I call and you call a pay to play. And so how is what you do different than that? Oh, that's really, really a good question. So, you know, publishing... There's always going to be an element, I'm going to tell everybody and, and an author that like you have to invest in your work and pay something, right? You're going to be paying a writing coach. You're going to be paying uh, different types of groups. There's there's all types of, even when you want to get traditional publish and find an agent, there's a lot onus on you to develop your brand, to develop your website, your social media platform. How else are you going to, so you're going to invest a lot of money that way. And then what I saw is that, which completely I, I hear almost like a cacophony of, of entrepreneurs and business owners who are like, wait a second, publishing, why are you telling me it's going to take three years to get my work published? When I know that this book can help with speaking engagements or other part, my coaching business, other things that I do in my life, this is in the nonfiction space, right? Yeah. So I think that self-publishing really emerged, uh, like emerged into such a point where now it's like the thing to do. And so, but it's, but it, if to do it well, you got to spend a lot of money. The people yes. that are like on all of those bestseller lists and launch pads. I mean, I'm just watching it in book trailers and Amazon advertising campaigns and paying on for different kinds of honestly paying for a Forbes article to come out, you know, for people like these are things that they're doing to elevate their book sales. And ultimately still, no matter what, they're not based in um, their careers have not been in the publishing space, right. meaning, meaning, you know, you can hire, you can go to Ritzy, you can hire all the people you're doing, but ultimately then you still are your own business. You're becoming a publisher and you're launching your book on a online platform only because right. really you have no retail access and are you going to hire an entire sales force? Right. <laughs> no. So that's where I kind of I'm asking people like what is your true motivation for this? Like if it is self-publishing might work for you if you just want some 500 books and be part of a a part of a lecture series, fine. But if you really want to sort of really take it to professionals who are going to work on your vision, your statement, 
um, and also down to even cover design and typography, and then actually launch you into stores, whether that's the Strand in New York or Powell's in Portland. I think you're in um, the North Bay Book Passage in Puerto Madera, you know? I just think that that is real strategic, has to be strategic because those bookstores are businesses and yeah. they need to also be able to sell the product. Absolutely, yeah, it's really tricky, isn't it? I, uh, I'm gonna tell a funny, funny story. So I was, I was actually um, writing a cookbook for a friend of mine who has a very large raw food company. So we were, you know, we were doing, you know, I, I, think, I, I think I did like 170 recipes in like two days. And the ghostwriter um, of this book that the cookbook was a part of, uh, you know, was interviewing me. And she'd been a, um, a HarperCollins uh, ghostwriter for, I think, 40 years. So she's really seasoned, lives in New York City. And she pauses the recording and she says, you know, Helene, you really need to publish your own book. And I said, yeah, I've heard that before. And she's like, well, just, you know, think about it and call me. So I called her a few years later. And I said, you know, I'm ready to write my book now. I've got the title. I've got the outline. I'm, I'm ready. And she's like, no one gives a shit about your book. <laughs> she's like, yeah, it was really interesting. She's like, I could take your money, you know, like very New York, which I appreciate. Uh -huh. um, but like, you know, but she's like, you know, you need like 200,000 followers, you know, you need 40 grand and, you know, and my publisher isn't going to like, look at you unless you're like really really strong in that way. And she's like, plus, you know, you can just go out and speak, but it's like, you can't speak if you don't have the book, you know? And it's like, it's just, it's so difficult actually to be in, in our position on this side of the street. And some people do it. They pay to play. Like, like you were talking about either in the publishing or the self-publishing, but either way, it's a, it's a real labor of love and a huge investment of time and money. Absolutely. And so what I did is I decided to say, okay, publishing has asked people to pay all the time. Just if, like, look at this, even in like a heart, like restaurants or uh, people in the food industry, they've had to pay for being traditionally published since I've been in it for over 20 years mm. in some way in photography, in a right. writer, something. And if they get an advance, majority of that advance is going to actually make their book. They maybe make $300 in their pocket and that advance then is actually not paid out to them until they sell their book. Wow. And they get made. So it's such a funny industry in that way. So I said, okay, what if I just said, hey, there's no advances. So that's how my company works. Like there's no advances. We, I come up with a budget. It's called partnership publishing. I have a warehouse in Chicago. I have full staff, uh, sales staff who goes out and sells your book, whether that is at Barnes and Noble or at the Atlanta gift show or the New York gift show. And like, I'm taking on all of that overhead and you are taking on the overhead and helping pay us to develop your book. Mm. And when we, and when we develop your book, we're going into partnership and uh, we work on what that could cost. We do a creative bid. But the difference is you actually then own the IP for um, meaning that like you own the art, you own the photography, you can use it in other ways uh, on your social media, on yeah. your website. Folks, those we're, of you who are not familiar, like that, <laughs> that is really, really, really important to own your own IP. So that's huge. I just, well, that's a huge gift that you're giving your authors. Yeah, so that is that is where like, I think a lot of people go to self-publishing, but then what? then what do they do? They walk into the bookstore, the bookstore sees if it's like carried, but it's not really carried. How are they getting printing? Like, how are they negotiating printer rates? Like, 
do they, re- do you really want to be doing that? Cause you probably make more money an hour being a chef or <laughs> being a cook, like, or, right. or being a, a wellness, you know, coach, like seriously, yeah. that's what mm-hmm. I say to people. And so that let us take care of that. I love it. That's so cool. That's really exciting. So four years, um, and you've got your team and your warehouses and your distribution channels mm-hmm. and a lot of your contacts from the rest of your life before you started this company, this publishing company. And so um, it sounds like a busy life. Yes. I have three <laughs> girls. I have three kids too myself. <laughs> I am a mom. How old and I, have a, kids? <laughs> um, I have a daughter who's almost 14. She'll be in high school next year. Mm-hmm. I have a 10-year-old and I have also a six-year-old. So good. Yeah. And you're just at the time I felt like at least my daughter was, was uh, seven to, to 14. Like it's just so much more freedom, such a different phase. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My daughter just turned 17 and it's <laughs> totally different. It's really amazing. I spent pretty much the entire weekend with her and it was so delightful. That's awesome. Yeah. I was saying to another colleague of mine this morning, actually, it's like, my 14 year old needs me in such a, in a in really important way, but in such a different way. Yeah. It's like, don't bug me, <laughs> stay home and don't go out. It's like Totally. Or like, <laughs> don't make me responsible for all my sisters. You know, like I have to be reminded that my oldest is not, no, it's my job still to be responsible for that 10 year old and that six year old. <laughs> they want you close, but not too close. Exactly. So how do you, how do you juggle it all? Um, like, what do you do um, so that you can, you know, honestly, it's, we all, all of us who are moms and entrepreneurs, we're always, you know, pulled in a lot of different directions um, as the, you know, whether you're in partnership or, you know, as a mom, as an entrepreneur, and even for yourself. And it's really, it can be overwhelming. So how do you structure it? Some people like schedule, some people don't, some people have to, you know, what do you, what do you do to schedule yourself? Yeah. I mean, I, I love to run. I'm not nearly the runner I used to be when I was, you know, younger, but I still do a ritual of two days a week, like really scheduling that, like you would a doctor's appointment or a dentist cleaning, like really like this is my time. So I do run, um, a lot of run walking because I get the best kind of to that time to myself to really think things through. And yeah. so, and then I also like to do a Pilates or other little supplemental things in the morning, but I think the running is where I get the most clarity. I would agree with that. And not that running per se, but um, I was tweezing out part of what I teach and, and um, it's called embodiment. And I was looking at all the different components of what embodiment means and what it is. And one of the main components was sweating. Mm. And I think that things like running are really helpful to kind of push through something and reach a kind of breakthrough point where you're kind of, your endorphins are running, your heart is, is racing, not racing, but it's elevated. And then you, you have this kind of breakthrough, the sweat is a breakthrough. And like, you know, we all have that moment when we're running, walking, hiking up mountains, whatever it is, playing tennis, pickleball, <laughs> you know, like today I was doing some yoga stuff too. That was really intense. And it's, it's uh, really important. I think also for me, it's like, if I, I get kind of grumpy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I can tell. And like, even, and my husband is also a small business owner and entrepreneur. And like today, you know, with our three kids and having them in different schools, I was like, okay, when am I going to fit that the run it? Right. Like, I know I need this. So I just said, Hey, why don't I drop the kids at your office at 
4.45 because the daylight savings, the time changed and the, that kind of like, I needed to sleep. Sleep is also really important. So important. So, yeah. Oh. So if I, if I tell people how I make it through, it's like also understanding, like, I'm not going to lose my run, but I, on the Monday morning that I used to go at 6.15 when it's 5.15, I'm not going to push myself to do that. Instead, I'm going to carve out, okay, because it doesn't, the sun doesn't set, I'm going to just shift my mindset, but I'm still going to get that in. And I think yes. letting go of like, it <laughs> always has to be one way versus mm -hmm. how do I be a little bit more adaptable within also the routine I need. That is excellent advice, especially for like type A women who are definitely yes. listening um, because we do. It's like, I love my friend sent me this quote. It was like, I'm totally flexible when everything is going my way. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. And I have that too. You get like, I get anxiety. I like can feel the anxiety, right? Like I could yeah. feel the anxiety erupt in me of like, what, what am I going to fit this all in if it's not in my routine? And so I've learned to um, actually through coaching and exercise for myself is like, how do I still make that time, but be flexible within it? Yeah, it's really important. And that's a little, it can be a slippery slope for some people. Um, Cause they'll be like, oh, well, I, you know, I won't get to it. And then slowly, slowly they are losing the prioritization in their lives. And I would say by the time women end up coming to me, oftentimes they put themselves as a last priority. And, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of cleanup work to do to kind of, you know, have confidence to reprioritize yourself. Um, so that's, it can be a slippery slope, but uh, I know that I'm really committed to it. Maybe too much so even, My, <laughs> I don't know, I'm really into it um, because I know the value that it provides for me. I just can't show up as great um, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually without, without that embodiment practice, which could be running. Like it doesn't have to be dance or some kind of, weird neocortex inhibited <laughs> movement pattern. It can be anything as long as you're engaged in it emotionally. Yeah. So when you're tired though, it sounds like you sleep. Um, but is there anything else you do, any ritual or practice that you do when you're feeling kind of low on energy? Cause you've just been, you know, taking the kids to three different schools and probably cooking <laughs> dinner and running your company and being a wife. <laughs> yeah, actually really honestly, like cooking relaxes me. Me so too. people like think it's really weird, but like, for example, yesterday we got home from a family trip. We went down to this beautiful Padre Junes at like six o'clock mm. and like there's laundry and there's things to put away, right? All the, and like, I should probably check some work emails or whatever it is that you're supposed to do. And I just stopped and I was like, God, all these vegetables did not get eaten and they're going to wilt and go bad for... I just stopped and started chopping. And my husband was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know what? I just need this time. So I like used all these vegetables. I made this huge, huge couscous. This probably will be for the whole week. But that for me is my moment of, it wasn't even about like feeding anyone right that minute. Like, honestly, we picked up a pizza, fed the kids. Like it wasn't about that I was needed to make this beautiful meal for my family. It was actually about just the act of like putting on my music and having that time in the kitchen to myself. I love that. You're actually the first person. I probably interviewed like 50 people and you're the first person. And I, I, the, I share is the same relaxation. I, huh. I don't know what it is. It's like, I think also because I have a lot of big projects that are not easy to bring to completion because they're constantly evolving that doing like cooking something like you just described, it's like, I can finish it. 
you know, yes. I can enjoy it. It's so relaxing. And I've never met anyone else that really understands that. Um, yes. I was at a mastermind last week with these extraordinary entrepreneurs from all over the country. And we had been just basically masterminding like six to eight hours a day, which is fun and exciting and creative, but it was also like intense, right? (laughs) We didn't leave the house for like five days. (laughs) Literally, I'm not exaggerating. And um, at the end of it, I was like, do you guys mind if I just cook for a couple of hours? And they're like, no, sure, go right ahead. And it was just like so nurturing. Yes. Um, And I think of it, you know, my grandma, she was, my grandmother was, one of them was born in, in Italy and she loved to cook. And she moved in with us after my grandfather passed away when I was six years old and lived with me throughout until I was in junior high. And I think, you know, watching her cook and like just having her part of the kitchen, this Italian grandmother who literally would hand cut pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I would shake it out when I came back from school and I was the oldest child. Mm-hmm. I think those are like those little rituals are, to me are so relaxing. And I think that's part of why I do it today. It's like, I get huh. to sort of think about just the things that I really enjoy about the kitchen. That's you a know? good point. Yeah. Both my parents are like gourmet chefs. Yeah, like they're not a restaurant professional, but yeah, that's a really interesting correlation. I never thought about it. Yeah, because people has asked me before, like friends or why do you do this? I think it has to do with just like, just kind of that kind of like this was something that I like loved as a kid watching my grandmother cook, and it's relaxing to me. Yeah, I totally get that. I can totally relate. Yeah, my mom and dad were all we had everything was made from home. Well, just about everything was homemade, except for like those little things that crept in like Velveeta cheese. I'm like so mortified <laughs> that we ate Velveeta, but I'm still alive. <laughs> or like- yeah, and, and my mom actually uh, took a little, she took always odds and end jobs growing up and she wanted to become, she actually ended up baking bread for a baker. And then she ended up doing some like a little coffee shop and help this guy like bake coffee cakes and cake. So my mom just naturally- those types of things too so I think it's just in me totally we used to like do Christmas baking for all the doctors and everything yeah it was like yeah you're right it was just part of growing up that's so interesting I love that Mm -hmm. so nice um so if people wanted to learn more about um partnering with you because that sounds like that's Mm. how you look at it it's like how what how can they find out more information contact you and, and look at um the opportunity yeah, thank you. So um, I'm really easy on LinkedIn. I'm just Angela Engel and I can give you, you know, but just look me up. I'm the publisher and founder of the Collective Book Studio. And on Instagram, it's just at the Collective Book Studio. We are active on Instagram because so much of our books are very visual. Um, and then um, also I would say subscribe to our newsletter. So our website is thecollectivebook.studio, then subscribe to our newsletter. We are always talking about things that are happening in the book industry, um, design awards that we've a one or finalists. And um, I always say this to every person who wants to write a book, do your research, do your comp research, not just your vision. Someone else has probably thought of your idea a hundred percent. We've been pitched over and over again. That said, there's only one you. And so that's what I always remind nonfiction authors. Like there's only one you. And if that, since you're the unique voice in your book, um, figure out how you can stand out among 
all the competition, but do the competition. So subscribing to my newsletter, you can also see what we're publishing and what else is out there in that, in these genres, not that. just, not just Amazon because right. Amazon, you know, because our books are actually in stores and retail, walk into a Barnes and Noble, walk into a book passage and, and see what's in those sections. Nice. Love that. I really appreciate that. I feel like there are words of wisdom. And I think we forget uh, that our voice is so unique and that um, we really need to speak it because we do have important things to say, all of us. And it's so unique. Yes. And, it, and if you have that book in you, like, you know, I, I'm happy to just like, you know, send me a link in, DM me um, and, and give any kind of advice I can, because I can see where like, it's frustrating for people to feel like, should I be waiting three years? And I say, no, you don't have to wait three years. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being with us today. <laughs> it was fun. I love it. <laughs> Take, be well now. Thank you for listening to Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. Please contact me if you're interested in cultivating more vitality at jennifer-helene.com on the contact page. If you know this episode would be of value to your community, please share it on all of your social media channels. Maybe you are a successful working mom who would like to share your story on this podcast. Please visit podcast.jennifer-helene.com backslash podcast-guest to apply. And you might know someone who would be an ideal guest. If so, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Vitality Women Leading Audaciously. I absolutely love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team in getting the word out about how to realign humanity with purpose. Purposeful Ventures is a company that is helping moms succeed in revitalizing their lives, relationships, businesses, and health. Please join a more personal conversation by working directly with me, joining my private Facebook group or one of my programs. This is Jennifer Helene, and thanks for spending your precious time with me.